Today, Ian will interview John Fong, CRO of Domain Group. Domain is one of the largest property marketplaces and portals in the Southern Hemisphere. John tells us how to leverage metrics rather than drown in data and how to demonstrate your business's value, even in a tight market. He also describes how you should treat frequent flyers, what he calls his best customers. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on Qualified.com. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by a special guest. John, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ian. Yourself? Doing well. Excited to chat to you today. You know, you're you're coming half a world away, which is which is always fun to to do an international episode. Very honored to be here and representing Australia. So good day to all your listeners. Yeah, indeed. Starting off, tell us a little bit about your role as CRO of Domain. Sure. So Domain is one of the largest property marketplaces and portals in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's like a Zillow, a Redfin, a Reels.com. And particularly, we're focused in Australia and New Zealand, and we help people sell their home, and we help people find a home to buy and rent. My job there is I'm the chief revenue officer, so I'm responsible for, I guess, all the ways that we make money. The primary way is we charge people to list on our app, and we also sell a range of software-as-a-service solutions to real estate agents. So yeah, we're, we're quite a well-known company within Australia and now New Zealand. And how do you think about RevOps as, as part of, part of the, the revenue team? Yeah, so I think RevOps to me is, is many different components. Classically, RevOps has been about pricing and finding the right pricing value and bundle packages for our customers. But when I think of the operations team in, in my organization, it's actually very large. There's about 300 people there in total. Most of them are part of what we call customer experience. That is helping a customer when they have a problem and ideally work with product to avoid the problem happening in the first place. But we also have an enablement team. We have a performance team, which sets quotas and incentives. You know, we have lots of other different teams that can really all with the, with the objective of helping our sales team be more effective and our customers be well served. How much do you use sort of, you know, the, the, the data side of the world as CRO? How do you think about revenue operations as it relates to, you know, the, the revenue function? Yeah, I mean, data is, is crucial. And data is used in so many different ways. I think from a day-to-day perspective, we use data to measure performance. So wherever you are in my organization, whether your job is to sell, account manage, or to manage uh, a customer support query, you have a set of metrics, and those metrics are tied to your incentives. You know, for some, it's new business uh, and cross-sell. For some, it's protection of existing business. For customer experience, it's things such as resolution time, satisfaction, all those kind of things. So those are very, very important. And, and we have a team called performance, commercial performance, whose job it is to make sure that right data is there, targets it appropriately, and those are visible to folks. So you get that virtuous cycle of, here's my goal. I'm trying to manage towards it. And, and great, I've got it. Or I'm, I'm not there and I need to lift my game. But we use data in many different ways as well. We use it as a, a way to navigate our business. So our business, for example, there's a lot of things we can control, such as our market share, how much each customer is spending, the average revenue per user. But there's a lot of things we can't control. The major thing being how many people are trying to sell their house at any given time. Because effectively, we're a function of the total people looking to sell their house, multiplied by how many sell with us and what price they pay for the combined products. And so we use data to both understand what we can control and trends there, but also the things we can't control and plan accordingly. 
You mentioned sort of the different sides of the marketplace that you have a, a software tool for real estate agents in addition to like the, you know, the the owner side of the business, you know, and, and all that. Can you sort of just like explain the differences in those different types of the organization and how you think about revenue perhaps differently with those? So for the owner side of the organization, and this is the act of someone is trying to sell a house, the way it works in Australia, which is a bit, bit different to America, is you need to pay money to a site such as Domain, whether one of the largest in Australasia. And when you pay us money, it gives you the right to be on our app. And depending on how much you pay, that determines your search ranking, you know, the, 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 the size of pictures, of logos and things like that. And so that is revenue that we record when someone is looking to actually sell a house. And we have a bunch of add-on products. There's a social extension, which means that that listing is seen by any potential viewers, you know, on, on Facebook, on their social media. We have products such as dream homes and things like that. And, and these allow you to appear in other different places, like in newspapers, on print and, and things of that nature. So that's where we make, you know, roughly about 70 to 80% of our revenue, mostly in residential uh, and to a lesser extent, commercial real estate. That's our, our bucket. But we make quite a lot of uh, money uh, by helping the real estate agent run their business better. Our passion is that even if it is the person selling the house that is made the decision or that is paying for, you know, whether to use us as part of the advertising to sell their house, it's really the real estate agent who's recommending us. And we want to provide tools to help that real estate agent and those agencies be more effective. And so, for example, when you're trying to sell a house, there's a lot of paper involved. Uh, we have a product called Real-Time Agent. And what that product does is it digitizes all that paper. We have a product called Price Finder, which is basically a database of all the past sales and all the properties and all the comparable properties. So if you're a real estate agent, one of the most important things you do is you set the valuation of a house, uh, an appraisal, uh, we call it in Australia. And that appraisal is guiding both the buyer and the seller to try and make a match. And we have a product called LeadScope, which helps them find the next person selling You know, and, and makes predictions about, hey, this is my database ranked in order of who's most likely to sell the next 12 months, because that's also how they get paid when they sell a house. This helps them generate new revenue. So that's about 20% of our revenue, and it's focused very much on the real estate agent, whereas the majority of our products, the majority of our revenue is focused on helping the person sell the house, reach more buyers, and reach more seekers. All right, let's get to our first segment, Rev Obstacles, where we talk about the tough parts about Rev Ops. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? Zooming into some of the strategy, how do you think about you know RevOps strategically for the organization? What, what, how do you build your 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 revenue strategy? So the way I think of revenue is in three components. There's what we can't control, which is you know how many houses are going to be sold by the market this year. So in Australia, it's about five hundred thousand per year. It's about a tenth of where it is in America. So America's Australia is actually a very large economy for real estate. Per capita, it's probably the richest developed country in the world for real estate. So we sell about a tenth of houses. America will be about five million this year. We'll do about five hundred thousand. That number we can't control. It's a function of interest rates, macroeconomic, where the recession is going, unemployment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's one component. But we fundamentally control two things: the average revenue per listing. Right, which is a function of how much, how we price and the various pricing tiers and models we have. And then our market share. Our market share is, you know, what percentage of those 500,000 listings are going to pay to be listed on domain. So at a high level, that's how I think about revenue. 
And I can't control that first one, which is how many houses that we have for sale in any given year of 500,000, but I can control what percentage want to be on us and what price we charge them. And that's basically how I target my team. I've divided my team into, you know, I've got customer experience, which is a very large and awesome team, but I have over a hundred people who have a territory in their territory. They might have as few as 20, as many as a few hundred real estate agents. Their job is to show each of those real estate agents, Hey, this is why you should be recommending to your sellers why they should be in our platform. And so each of them have a effectively a market share goal to get to as close to 100% as possible. On top of that, they have a revenue goal, which is we just don't want them on the cheapest option. We want to give them as much value as possible. So we have, you know, classic, basic, silver, gold, platinum, platinum edge. Each of those have more features, more exposure, bigger branding for the real estate agency. And what we're constantly trying to do is train our salespeople to, to show the value of the higher tiers, but also work with our product team and the RevOps team to say, Hey, if we develop these new products, and these new features, can we charge more money at all the tiers, at some tiers? So we're constantly in that cycle of trying to bring more value, be able to charge more revenue, as well as increase the market share of how many people are actually using a paid product. That's awesome. Any other thoughts on 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 strategy? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the strategy of these things needs to be multifaceted. Yeah. So the way I think about it is we want to ultimately the way that vendors, someone selling their house and real estate agents will look at us is they will they will measure our value. So, you know, for example, say it costs a thousand dollars to list our property and in your particular suburb, you know, at a platinum level. There are competitors in our market who'll be charging some amounts of money and they will look and say, okay, if I place my house on your portal, on your marketplace, in your app versus this other one, if I paid you a thousand, if I paid them a thousand, how many views are you bringing me? How many people will find my property on your web, your website or your app? And then secondly, how many people will actually leave an inquiry? An inquiry is they'll make a phone call, they'll email and say, Hey, I'd like to, to speak to the real estate agent, you know, or they will, you know, they, they will go and actually visit the property and go to an open home. So we track all that data. We track all that data. And if you think about that, what I am monetizing as the chief revenue officer is I am bringing a high quality inquiry to folks who are looking to sell their house. And that's how I'll be evaluated. So imagine that our strategy is the following. Number one, we want to be constantly increasing the number of inquiries we get, right? And so what's that a function of? That's a function of how good our SEO is, how good mm-hmm. our product is, is helping someone who's using the app be served very relevant results. It's about the friction it takes to look at a house and go, oh, that's interesting. I will leave an inquiry. If there's too many steps or it's too convoluted, it'll take time. So there's a product and a marketing element to get someone from the top of the funnel uh, to the bottom of the funnel. But really, in Australia, for example, at any given time, there's only about 500,000 people looking for a house. But there is you know, six, seven million people a, a month using our app, right? Using reading our articles. So most of those people are in nurture. We try to provide them value and interest and education outside of where they're looking for a house. So when it's time, they go, great, I'm primed, I'm ready. I'm going to use the domain app, leave my inquiry. So the biggest part of what we do is using marketing and product and technology to, to, to make sure we're, we're finding really warm buyers and connected with the house of their dreams, which is how we monetize. The other part is to obviously think about pricing and bundling. We have all these add-on products I talked about. We have these newspapers and all exciting stuff. We're constantly experimenting with how to bundle those together. So we're providing the maximum value and allows us to make revenue out of that as well. So that's the the yin and the yang of, of how we run our business. What's the hardest RevOps issue that you've faced in the past year? I think our biggest challenge right now is if you think about your selling a house, right? Great. You're selling a house. Hopefully you sell the house for a million dollars. You have allocated a bunch of marketing dollars. You say, okay, to sell my house for a million dollars, 
I'm going to have to pay, you know, my, my agent. We, we pay the selling agent here in Australia only, not the buying agent. You know, we're going to pay them 3%, 2%, that'll be $20,000, $30,000. And on top of that, I've got a, I've got a, a figure in my head of how much I want to spend on marketing. Maybe it's $5,000, $10,000. We separate those budgets here in Australia. So on average, it's maybe up to six or $7,000 that people are willing to spend. Over the past year, two years, inflation has really increased the cost of a lot of the things that you need to sell a house. You need like a physical signboard, right? You, you, you need photography for your house. I use it as a mm-hmm. professional photographer. You might have a video, right? You might have a brochure that, that you print out, right? On top of that, you will pay companies like Domain so that you can be found by millions of people searching for a house. And the cost of all of these things has gone up over time, particularly the last two years. It's probably gone up 10, 15% on average. So what was a $6,000 marketing schedule might be a $7,000 schedule. At the same time, because the housing market has been, like in America over the past one to two years, challenged, you know, post the big COVID boom. And because there's been uncertainty in, in the market with inflation and, 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 and just the general economy, even though the cost of selling a house has gone up, the marketing schedule, the amount that people are willing to pay is flat, in some cases declining. So now you have a schedule which was $6,000 that might now be costing $7,000, but the vendor, the person selling the house, if they're willing to spend $6,000, might only be willing to spend five, five and a half thousand dollars today, right? So fundamentally, everyone gets squeezed. And the challenge that me and my team have is, how do you demonstrate value? How do you show that what you're providing is worth that much that, oh, maybe if we can't do as big a brochure or as big a signboard, or, as, or maybe I'm choosing having a video or not having a video or using social media or not, that the listing, the value that domain provides is worth more than other things which are also costing more money. And that's challenging because obviously as a chief revenue officer, I want to be making more revenue, not less, but it's very heavily dependent on our product and marketing team bringing in more highly qualified buyers for anyone trying to sell their house. And making that all work is, is probably the thing that, that keeps us up at night. Yeah, that's fascinating. Really interesting. What about your biggest rev oops moment or something maybe you made a mistake and you learned from it? Our biggest rev oops moment. I have heard these terms before, uh, Ian, but where I hear them, they make me laugh a little. Uh, it's very, very clever. <laughs> That's pretty, it's pretty great. There is always a balance when you're running a revenue team, a sales team, about where do you, where do you spend your selling resources? There's 100 people who, here's your 20, 50, 100 agencies. You are going to be measured on how much new business and how much you protect that existing business and grow that base. Right? Pretty standard. There is always a, a, a paradox that you have to walk as a, in my case, a head of sales, a chief revenue officer, as to how deep do you go with your most biggest spenders, but how broad do you go because you want everyone to have a good experience. And I would say our RevOops as a company has been trying to treat everyone the same and give everyone the same quality of service. So a few years ago, what we had was everybody, whether there are about 10,000 real estate agencies in Australia, right? The biggest one spends tens of millions of dollars with us. The smallest one might spend zero dollars, one dollars, twenty dollars, something like that. Mm-hmm. In the past, we have had a situation where number one and number 10,000 have had equal access. They've had an account manager. They can call them up. They can request a meeting. And I think the rev oops there is that's actually a recipe to potentially disappoint everyone, even though it sounds good in theory. Because mm-hmm. the top guy is going, why am I getting as much attention as someone who is spending a millionth as much as me? But actually what naturally happens over time is account managers aren't dumb. They naturally triage towards their higher customers. But what that means is they tend to neglect people who aren't going to bring much money for them. And then you have these missed expectations where someone who's maybe spending $1,000 is expecting face-to-face service, never gets it, 
And they're disappointed and frustrated because you haven't met the expectations, the, the implicit contract that you have with that person. And to me, that's a bit of a rev oops. It's like a recipe for disappointing everyone. And what we did about almost a year ago is we changed it. So we focused the majority of our resources on the top 20%. For the bottom 80% of revenue, who still are spending, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars, we still want to give them great service. We still want to make sure they have a problem, they can solve it. We still want to make sure they have access to the best of domain. But we made it clear that we're largely servicing you through a phone operation, uh, a digital partnerships group is what we call it. And actually, in many ways, that's been better for them because they know what to expect. They know the meetings they'll get. They have a clear person they can respond to. And for that person who they've been assigned, if you're spending $10,000, you're now the most important customer in their pool of a few hundred rather than yeah. the least important customer they might have had before. And it's what it's also meant. It's allowed us to really double down on that top 20% of customers who bring in 80% of the revenue. Even within that top 20% of revenue who are giving now the majority of resources, we have a team that focuses on the top 20% of them and they're called our key account partners. And they really get a lot of love, attention, face-to-face, a lot of contact with myself. We will hold events, learning events, networking events together with them, are very responsive to their needs. And again, we really value all of our customers. We're grateful for every single dollar of revenue. You know, but it does mean that we're able to set expectations at each tier and making sure that our top customers are getting the extensiveness of support they might need given the, the, the largeness of their businesses. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. What a great lesson. I think there's so much of that that happens where it's like keeping those, keeping those expectations met is the most important thing. Y'all went through a, a reorg about six months ago. Is that, is that part of that or is that different? That's right. Yeah, that, that was one part. I can speak to, you know, a few other interesting component parts that was yeah. trying to address some of our RevOops moments. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> the, one of the biggest things was establishing that, you know, those different levels of service, depending on spend and potential, and dividing between key accounts, you know, accounts, field accounts who still get face-to-face contact, and then a, a digital partnerships group who are mostly phone and virtual sales. That was one big element. But another element was uh, customers saying to us, hey, look, I know you sell these listings, advertising products for people trying to sell their house. You also sell these interesting software as a service products like this DocuSign function, like this database, like this lead generation tool. Up until that point in time, because domain had grown organically, those all represented different sales teams. And they said, look, mm-hmm. I don't want to have five different points of contact. Give me a single point of contact who can be an essential partner to me. Uh, so if I'm the CEO of this real estate office, I have I know that for all my domain services, I have a single person who I can talk to. And that was a really big part of it to reduce the, to consolidate the different sales teams. So each real estate agency has one seller for us. But what that means is because now there's 15 or 20 products that can be bought and sold, you know, by a particular agency, you need to make sure that each account partner, they can't go deep on every single one as deep as they were before. And so we produced a whole team called customer solutions, uh, which is a team of experts divided by product. And we have a parallel in marketing with product marketing. And their job is to create tools and enablement and brochures and examples and ROI calculators so that when the account partner is speaking to you know their agency, they know a little bit about every single product, but they have resources they can bring upon or exports they can call upon to really help go deep on the sale. And that's divided between expert sellers and expert implementation and success specialists, whose job it is to make the product work once it's been sold. The last part was really bringing on some of these, we call them national account leaders. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you imagine America, you have the Remaxes, the Century 21s. You still have these individual franchises, hundreds, thousands of them across America, you know, for a lot of your listeners. But you've got this headquarters group who's also trying to coordinate, who's trying to provide value. And so it's, it's kind of this bifocal 
uh, decision making, right? Because you have someone who's making the local decisions and then a national group that's influencing. And we didn't really have national teams or state-led teams who would provide that value and provide that insight. And so we added a bunch of really important roles from our, our best performers to be that national coordinator who can speak with headquarters, their CEO, their CTO, their heads of marketing, as well as people who are account managers divided up at the local level. <clears throat> We're really trying to match the way that our customers do business. And so that was another adjustment that we made. And then tell me about your frequent flyer program. What is this? Similar to uh, what we're speaking about, I think great revenue operations divides things into different tiers. So mm. we have tiers for the products we sell, gold, silver, platinum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that determines the benefits. I think it's very, very useful. When I think about my, in my history, I, I had the chance to do this at, at Uber, running a sales and customer engineering team, and at Google, running a, a global agency team. I find it very helpful to divide up customers into, like an airline would, frequent flyer programs. Sometimes that's transparent to the customer, sometimes it isn't. But in this case, it's really saying, hey, for our top 500 customers, for our top 50 customers, what would make them really excited about expanding their business with us? What do they really value? Right? So if you're, if you're a frequent flyer, right, what, what do you value? You value check-in, you value baggage, you value better seats, you value little perks, lounge access. These are things that drive your preference and, and send you the message or, or help you come to a logical conclusion. I should maximize how much I spend with this airline because the more I spend, the more benefits I get and I value those benefits. And so that's effectively how I think about any sales team and any value offering, particularly in the B2B space when you're selling to people who have their own customers. And so for us, if I just speak about our, our, our top customers, right? Our, our top agencies who might spend millions of dollars with us. We haven't got an explicit frequent flyer program, but I've spent a lot of time in the past few years just understanding, hey, what do you value? And fundamentally, the first thing I value was a great product, just like on a plane. What do you value is on time, safe, comfortable performance as a flyer. But there are things on top of that that really value. So for us, we need to provide a, a product that provides a good amount of high quality inquiry to people who they're representing selling their house at a reasonable price. That is 101. But what else do they value? They value the chance to get a peek into the data that we have. We have data on tens of millions of Australians searching for property. We have data on every property sale that's happening. We have data on trends. We can share that with them and help them run their business. And there's parts that we share with every single agency, but there are special forums that we've set up for our closest customers and partners so they get an insight. They can talk to our economists. They can look behind the data. They can marry some of that data with their own first-party data. So that's one thing they value. What's another they value? Executive engagement. Tell with myself the CEO of the organization, the various national sales directors. Now, obviously, there's a part of that which you would expect any sales leader to have contact with customers, but they know they can pick up the phone and, and speak straight to me. They know if they have a problem, we're going to deal with it very quickly. They know that they know all the people, not just in sales, but in product and marketing technology, who are working on the things they care about. So those are the things we've assembled by listening to what our customer wants and starting to give that to them. We, the last thing is we started creating forums where they can network with each other. We took a bunch of the way to, you know, some various nice places around Australia. And these aren't just junkets, but there is a big Thanksgiving component to it where we say thank you for your, for helping and, and being a customer. Mm -hmm. It's a chance for them to not just get to know us, but to get to know peers, often peers who they're not competing against and share ideas. And we think that we can play a great role in that. And so that's something where our customers say, Hey, look, we think you can do a great job with this. Please create these forums. We value those things. So there's a version that we do for our top 50 customers. There's a version for the top 500. And there are ways that scale for all of our customers. And that's, I guess that's our equivalent of a frequent fly program. I love it. It's so smart. You know, it's so obvious when you, when you sit there and say it, that 
you should spend, you know, more time on these accounts. So you should talk to them more. You should figure it all out. But the way that you've operationalized it is, is really cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Ian. Okay. We're going to be talking tools, spreadsheets, metric, just like everyone's favorite tool, qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without qualified. Go to qualified.com right now and check them out. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and mom a favor? Get off that shed. This is my favorite place. <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed! What's in your tool shed, John? I'll talk for my overall team and I'll talk for myself. Uh, yeah. We run our, our company on, on Salesforce. You know, if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. The key things we're looking for are all the activities that people are doing, face-to-face meetings, phone meetings. This is the lifeblood of any sales team. Even though activity does not mean results, there is a very, very high correlation. So we want to track the activities and the meetings that folks have. We've got a goal of every week, 10 to 15 meetings, face-to-face meetings for our field sellers. And then on top of that, we're tracking pipeline in Salesforce and obviously closed deals. And so those are the, the, the basic one-on-one tools. And a lot of my job is to make sure we've created a rhythm where every week, every account manager, account partner, we call them, is meeting with their sales manager, having that conversation. The sales manager is cascading to the state director. That state director is national. And every month, I'll look at the aggregated results of that You know, with the various product and sales leaders in my organization. So Salesforce is, is one-on-one you know, for us when it comes to tooling. We use a lot of enablement tools. So we, for example, use Highspot. The whole idea is that whenever there is stuff that's being produced, there should be a virtuous cycle between a production line of resources that we're doing for the sales team, delivery, storage, and recycling, right? And to me, you want to make sure that everything is up there. So if you're a salesperson, we know that we can push the messages, the market news, any new products, that every month there's a particular update Every quarter, we have a kickoff. Every half year and every year, we have a big bang, a big bang kickoff. And these are ways that we get information out there. It's broadcast usually through a meeting and an email. It then is put on Highspot as a resource. It's in there as a resource. So when folks are you know looking to refresh, they know where to go. Or if you are in not where, where you want to be with your sales, with your pipeline reactivity, those resources there for you to help you uh, to get there. So that's really important. Because some people can fly by the seat of their pants. Most people need that predictable activity scheduling and they need those resources there. Um, so there are two of our tools. I would say the biggest tool that we have is we try and be very structured about our meetings and our forecasting. So for me, every month we get a, every week we get a revenue report. Every month we have a formal cadence where we look at our forecast. And to me, that is the meeting that drives the whole business. Are we ahead? Are we behind? And how are we going month on month? What are the problems that we're solving? What were the problems we saw last month and what we committed to? And are we getting better at those things? Uh, so that's what we do. And you know, I talked a bit about that cascading before. I would say the tooling we have behind that is okay. We generally use cascading Google spreadsheets, right? There are better tools out there and we're exploring them, but that's right now how we handle it and, and it tends to work okay. But that, that's how we run the business from a revenue point of view. Fantastic. Any, any things that you want to be investing in or, or things that like types of things that you're investing in or are excited about technology wise for the coming, coming year? I've been in revenue operations for 15 years. I've been relatively underwhelmed with a lot of the tooling that has come around. There's hundreds of these products, right? And, and, you know, whether it's things such as using AI to go to your CRM to draw insights, whether it's things to help with, you know, intelligence around activity or predictions or forecasts. I think I've dabbled with many of these things. In many ways, I've typically been drawn back to the very basics of, you know, a Salesforce or, you know, other HubSpot CRM, you mm-hmm. know, and a high spot, you know, slash LMS, CMS, and then spreadsheets and meetings. 
And that's despite the many advances in the last 15 years. And I think the reason why I've struggled to implement some of these more advanced tools is I find most companies, not just a domain, but even, you know, a Google, where I spent a long time running sales teams, to actually get something implemented as well as the sales pitch. So it actually saves people time or it actually helps people, it saves people time or drives insight, you know, beyond what you could do with a spreadsheet or, or a chart. I found that a very, very high bar because most companies don't operate like a startup. They don't operate a silo. They have big enterprise platforms. Any integration needs to be legal, financial, get in there. By the mm-hmm. time it's it ends up watering down. So obviously there's a lot of great companies out there and with the advent of AI doing a lot of cool stuff. And my background is technology. I got my first computer when I was four. You know, I, I love technology and that's what I've sold the last 15 years. But I have found a lot of these supporting tools to generally be underwhelming in practice and different from the demonstrations I see. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think there's just so many different tools that are sort of a bit commoditized. And then there's, you know, others that that come in and you're just like, oh, geez, this is, if we're using, if we start using this thing, like we're really going to see ROI like quickly. Yeah. I think for me, it's all the tools that change the customer experience or the buying experience that those are, those are the ones that really feel so fresh, like the good people qualified who, who, who are the presenting sponsor of the show. But like those type of technologies that it's not just helping you see yourself better. It's helping the customer engage with you better. You know, like we, this is a total random anecdote, but we, we started using a scheduling tool it completely transforms how we book our podcasts because like you figure just the man hours or the, you know, work, work hours of people when you're trying to like, you know, go back and forth with someone booking a podcast. And it's like, it changes the behavior of people, not just sort of giving you more information. Yeah. I think the calendar tool, like whether it's Calendly or things like that, like those are fantastic. I mean, and, and, and they've, I think what I've liked about those, and obviously I have used them as someone whether booking a podcast or something like that. Those are very simple tools, which have made a lot of the human and unnecessary human interaction go away. And I have a lot of time for those things, particularly a startup or, or things like that. So those are definitely good things. And I would challenge, you know, those folks out there who are, who are building technology to sell to, to CROs and people like myself. Simplicity is, is so good. If you make it simple for me and take out all those integrations, that's where you get my business. I love it. Yeah. Simple, simple. Any other thoughts on sort of data or spreadsheets or metrics or anything like that? Yeah, I think metrics is is very paradoxical. I certainly am nervous about businesses that don't constantly look at metrics. I think metrics are a great way to bring attention to what should be managed. Mm. But at the same time, and, and this is something we're, we're juggling right now at debate, is you can easily be crushed by the weight of too many metrics. And you can easily spend a lot of time reviewing metrics, collating metrics, trying to clear out all the noise so those metrics are reasonable and comparable. And in the end, what difference does it make? Right. And in the end, you take a lot of time looking at metrics, preparing it, but how much you spent time managing the business. And, and the useful question I find in, in trying to figure out what is that middle ground, that, that optimal point of metrics is that question of, so what? Or put differently, if I have this metric, if I measure it, will it help me make a different management decision in a timely way? Or so what? And what I've found is we are constantly trying to add metrics. We're constantly trying to subtract metrics. What I'm always looking for is that signal amongst the noise, which is one of the two or three things that are really, really helpful that are going to help me run my business beyond the intuition and the anecdotes that I see. You know, so for us, for example, I spoke before about people are constantly looking to us to provide value, to provide people viewing their property, showing up to their property. And so a very, very important metric for me is our market share of views and our market share of inquiries. 
We are looking to see of all the different ways people can find a house, how often are people coming to us? And that to me is a very, very useful metric because I go, oh, wow, even the market's good or the market's bad. We were 20 or 30% and now we're 30, 40%. That's fantastic. Or wow, at this rate, it's gone the wrong way. What happened? And the real value comes when you get that at a very local level. You go, oh, in this suburb, things are going really well or going really badly. And the reason it's so useful is because if you ask that question, so what? When I see that information, it helps me take an action. That action could be, wow, things are going well. What can I celebrate and scale? Or wow, something's going wrong. What happened? Let me understand that. Is that a canary in the coal mine of things that will help elsewhere? And what I'm constantly trying to do is find the smallest number of metrics that do that. Generally, something like a share of views is one of those leading indicators. I'm also looking for revenue forecast, even more so than revenue, which is obviously how much revenue we think we'll do this year, this financial year. And I look at it, that is changing week on week, month on month. That's the best indicator to me that something has happened, good or bad. What can I do to defend against that? Is it controllable or not? But I'm trying to do so a very small number of metrics and drivers for any given product. Yeah, my, my, the thing that's tough for me about the forecasting piece, it, it seems from, from, your perspective is like, like you said, there's that one big chunk of the, of the piece that you can't control. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, everyone is affected by macro trends, but I feel like real estate is, is so finicky with that. But, but I guess every, you know, every market is, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. You know, to me, this is the glory and the terror of sales, right? That you are being held accountable for something you cannot ultimately control. And if you build the sales plan, right, there are very, very big and very small. So there, there are very big consequences for better or for worse in doing so. And the way I've, I've tried to handle that is I want to make sure we build incentive plans that are fair, that when times are good, people share on the upside. And when times are bad, people share on the downside. Overall, it should work out well for you, right? Mm-hmm. Is the way to build. You know, but you know, that's, that's one part where, you know, I can't avoid it. I don't want to have a situation where the company does really badly, but everyone gets paid really well. That's not the right thing for shareholders. So you're trying to build incentive plans that 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 almost like a shareholder as a, a salesperson is getting fair consequences, accelerated consequences, particularly the upside. But on the flip side, I'm constantly experimenting with uh, the sales plans to make sure that there's that balance between controllables and uncontrollables. So a plan that to me is that is just sheer, hey, here's your revenue target. It's market times market share times price. That's 100% of your, of your target. I've found those to be actually not a very highly motivating because they're so market dependent. So one of the things we do is, you know, about 30% of the, of, 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 of our assessment and another 20% for a different bucket is on things we have points for. This is things such as how many new deals, you know, any particular great saves, any particular great cross sell, great products we're pushing. They're things that may not necessarily correlate with market conditions. And what we do is even though, you know, 50% more of someone's quota is effectively their overall performance, which is heavily affected by market conditions. There is a material amount that they can really control that may move different to the market. And that allows them to make a lot of money because we've accelerators on those things by on those sheet controllables in addition to the market consequences. All right, let's get to our last segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. All right, here we go. Number one. In Australia, we in Australia we love cricket. So I was looking forward to this section. <laughs> Yo, that's right. Do you live in Sydney? I forget. Yes, Sydney. Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Have you ever been lawn bowling? Yeah, of course. I, when I was in Sydney, we we went to one of the lawn bowls places like right against the water and had a tui and did lawn bowling. And I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. This is the best. Bare, barefoot bowls, barefoot lawn bowls. It's a big deal here. Yeah, it's great. Anywho, okay. If you could make any animal, any size, what animal would it be and what size would it be? I was not expecting that question. 
What first came to mind, strangely, is a fish. I love sashimi. Mm. I would make a small fish, which does not have much mercury. I'd make it very large without increasing the amount of mercury, something like a salmon, and I would eat that fish raw. I love sashimi too. We we ate a lot of great, a lot of great. By the way, Sydney is amazing. One of my favorite places that I've that I've visited. Awesome, awesome place. Love the outdoors. I love fishing. I love all that stuff. So we got to go out there, and and it's just it was great. It's good. It's next, good. Next time, I just need to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll use domain. Okay, next question. Do you have a favorite thing that you've been reading, watching, listening to lately? We've been watching uh, on Netflix. There's a, a, a documentary called The Blue Zones. And it's basically the blue zones is areas where there's a disproportionate number of people who live to 100. Uh, and this guy, this documentary, I forget his name. He's going to this place like Sardinia and Okinawa, Japan and Loma Linda in California. Uh, and he's looking to find what are the factors that are different about these places uh, versus anywhere else in the world. And it's all the stuff you might expect. It's, you know, a combination of good foods, exercise, but there's some interesting ones there. Like, you know, Sardinia has a lot of stairs. There's a lot of levels. And Okinawa, they have very low furniture. And these are things that help people maintain flexibility and squatting and leg strength, you know, and there's a lot of stuff out, you know, how social lives and volunteering elongates life. So that's what we're watching right now, trying to be inspired and trying to get healthy. What is your best advice for a first-time CRO? Well, first-time CRO, uh, spend lots of time with customers, but... When you spend time with customers, whenever you meet with them, there's an implicit contract that what they're sharing with you will be acted upon or followed up upon. But I try and spend 25% of my time with customers. Sometimes I have a video, by phone. Often that's in person. I, I travel a lot to see them. Customers keep you fresh. They give you perspective. And when you are a CRO reporting to the CEO, it's actually quite easy to get disconnected from the outside because there's so much internal stuff to be done. So set a, set a target for yourself, customer time, and make sure you create processes where the feedback they give you is followed up one. John, that's it. That's all we got for today. It's been so awesome having you on the show. Fantastic revenue, RevOps lessons. For listeners, if you're in Australia or New Zealand and, and you're selling your house, clearly you should, you should be doing on domain. Any, yeah. any final thoughts? Anything to plug? You know, I, I am a real estate investor. I've been in real estate investing my whole life, but I think of myself as a revenue leader first and a business leader first. Uh, I've done that in many different industries. So if you're interested in connecting, LinkedIn's the best for me, J-O-H-N space F-O-O-N-G, Fung. Not too many John Fungs in Australia. I think I might be the only one on LinkedIn. I would love to to, to stay in touch and, and read about your lessons. Uh, we can all learn from each other. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way. B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.